We are making the focus of the uh, sermon time this uh, month, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Wonderful promise given uh, through Isaiah the prophet. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You remember that this promise comes in the larger context here in chapter 9 of a, of a people who have been violently oppressed, who have lived in darkness. In fact, it would seem uh, from verse 2 there in, in the chapter that darkness, deep darkness, has become their home, their living in darkness. Matthew, you'll recall, in his gospel was inspired to apply this uh, to the people of Galilee in Jesus' day. So we know that, that what he's, he's prophesying here is not a physical darkness, uh, but rather a, a spiritual darkness, and that this, this description of, of darkness and oppression uh, can be applied in a spiritual sense to people in, in, in any age. Uh, deep darkness is the home for people today. A deep spiritual darkness. Life is, is like a wandering in darkness. These people are said to walk in darkness. And so the image there is of someone who's, who's living... A, like they're walking in darkness and not knowing which way to go, where to turn. They're oppressed violently. We have the imagery of, of uh, blood and oppression in uh, Isaiah chapter 9 there. And, and, and so there's spiritual oppression and darkness upon people uh, due to the sins of others and due to their own sins as well. Uh, so it's, it, it's to those, those people in darkness and oppression, that this wonderful word comes. To you, a child is born. To you, a son is given, and his name is God the Mighty One. God the Mighty One. That's the one we'll focus on today. Uh, we're told in our text, of course, that that uh, this child is born, the son is given, with a name which is actually multiple names. You probably noticed that as we were reading this. Uh, his name, singular, shall be called, and then we're given multiple names. There are many facets of, uh, facets of, of the character of this child, this son. You can, you can think of you can think of this name, uh, God the Mighty One, then, as a light that is shining on, on one facet of, of the diamond, the brilliant diamond that is this uh, child and son. So your task, uh, as we consider this, test, this text together, your mental job is to think about what it means for this child, this son, to be named God the Mighty, or Mighty God. Now, the verb behind that adjective, or noun, mighty, uh, basically has the meaning to be strong, 
to have power, even to prevail, to overcome. Uh, in an earthly sense, of course, that first brings to mind physical power, the ability to prevail by means of bodily strength. And so it has that basic meaning, and it's not surprising then to find its frequent use in, in the Old Testament in reference to human beings is speaking of those who are strong and prevail in conflict in some way. We first encountered this word early in the book of Genesis, but it's found many places in uh, the books that we refer to as the historical books of the nation of Israel. There it's used in reference to warriors who, who have made a name for themselves uh, through their, their uh, ability in battle, through their skill, through their prevailing in battle, and, and have become uh, known as heroes. Uh, the books of Samuel actually end with a listing of, of what are called the mighty men, using this, this term here, the mighty men who serve King David. And we see so there are some examples of their, their exploits. Uh, we, we might say, trying to bring that up to, to our time, that the modern age in which we live has been characterized by the pursuit and exaltation of human might. Uh, of course, it's not unique in that sense, but it does seem that the dominant spirit of, of this age of modernism has, has been this, this driving idea that, that the human race uh, can prevail over nature, that can make nature do its bidding. Uh, we've We've uh, developed then a focus in our history books uh, upon the, those mighty persons, those heroes who in some way excelled in that, who excelled uh, not just in, in, the, in the art of war, but in medicine and science, uh, in the arts in general. They, they've, they've shown that mastery of the world around them. They've, uh, they've advanced civilization. Uh, but we'd have to admit that at the same time, this civilization, the peak of modernism, was marked also by horrible suffering and death. So, so there's a dark side to that prevailing of human might as well. Um, now, it, an interesting thing seems to be happening as we move into the mature mature modernism that's sometimes called postmodernism, and that is that, that people, either consciously or unconsciously, have, have realized, begun to realize that, that the whole modern enterprise ha has been a failure. We have not conquered illness the way that it was thought we would in the early 20th century. We have not achieved peace the way that... Uh, it appeared might be possible in the modern age. We, we seem to have developed a great deal of power and might in an earthly sense, but it has not brought in the golden age that, that we expected. Uh, we're, we're suffering, in a sense, the results of that. We're more connected to one another by technology than any people have ever lived, and yet postmoderns typically are alienated and lonely. We've got affluence greater than any generation before us, and yet so many people are living anxious and fearful lives. And so uh, one of the responses to that then is, is that people turn on 
their heroes. We're sort of in the age of the anti-hero now. We're in the age of deconstruction, tearing down the monuments, pointing out all the flaws of the people who've gone before us, uh, showing their, our disappointment with them. And people instead have, have decided to focus on themselves. And so we're in the age of the iPhone and the selfie and the Facebook page. And, and yet that hasn't brought any happier circumstances for people, has it? Uh, postmoderns are just as unhappy as, they, as their modern forefathers were. Well, what is, what, what is God's message to that? I think we see it. In our text, God's word revealed long ago the weakness of human strength and the foolishness of human confidence in our own ability to prevail. In fact, that, that first reference using this term mighty ones in Genesis is to a generation which brought upon themselves God's judgment in the flood because they had made wickedness great and the intention of their inmost thoughts was only evil continually. So we don't want to follow that example. We want to hear the warning of Scripture, the truth of, of Scripture that human beings, no matter how mighty they are, can never deliver themselves. We hear it, for instance, in Psalm 33. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man from where he sits enthroned. He looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all observes all their deeds. A king is not saved by his great army. A warrior, that's our word mighty one, is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might it cannot rescue. Your might, your strength, in fact, it is precisely the point where your downfall will often come when you put your confidence in yourself. That's that's the theme of all the great tragedies, isn't it? Someone placing a confidence in their own strength. Jeremiah warns us in chapter 9, verse 23, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. In Hannah's beautiful prayer in 1 Samuel chapter 2, she sings, the bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. And she sings later on, not by might shall man prevail. Boasting in your own might inevitably leads to catastrophe. We see it in Psalm 52. Why do you boast of evil, O mighty man? The steadfast love of God endures all the day. Your tongue plots destruction like a sharp razor, you worker of deceit. You love evil more than good and lying words more than speaking what is right. You love all words that devour, O deceitful tongue. But the Lord will break you down forever. He will snatch and tear you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. The righteous shall see and fear. And shall laugh at him, saying, See the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and sought refuge in his own destruction. So all this leads us to the, 
logical conclusion that this term mighty can really only be used without, without qualification of God himself. And so we see it used in that sense uh, throughout Scripture. Here's Isaiah 42. The Lord goes out like a mighty man, like a man of war, he stirs up his zeal. He cries out, he shouts aloud, he shows himself mighty against his foe. And here, here then we encounter the gospel that is the good news in contrast to the bad news of human might. Here's the gospel of God's might because he reveals himself mighty on behalf of his people. Listen to Jeremiah again from chapter 20. The Lord is with me as a dread warrior. Therefore, my persecutors will stumble. They will not overcome me. Don't you love that imagery there? The Lord is with me as a dread warrior. Jeremiah was receiving opposition from every hand. From the king on down, he was abused and mistreated. But he, he visualizes the Lord as a dreaded warrior with him, taking his side Listen to, uh, listen to all the positive attributes that, that David puts with God's might that is, that is shown to his people in 1 Chronicles uh, chapter 29. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power, that's our word might there, and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Here are all those positive attributes, both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and give strength to all. He, Deuteronomy chapter 10, makes the same kind of associations. For the Lord your God is a God of God, is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe, he executes justice for the fatherless and the widow, and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. He uses his might on behalf of those who are needy. In Nehemiah's prayer in chapter 9, uh, he says the same kind of things. Now therefore our God, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love. He, his strength is shown in his keeping covenant with his people, in his persevering covenant love for them. You have been righteous, Nehemiah says, and all that has come upon us, his might is a righteous might, for you have dealt faithfully and we have acted wickedly. So in contrast to our wickedness, God acts faithfully in spite of our sin. Psalm 24, with a, a beautiful refrain, a rhetorical question, Who is this King of glory, the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle? In Isaiah chapter 10, he speaks of the mighty God to whom Israel will return. And so he says, Be not afraid of your earthly enemies. His burden will depart from your shoulder and his yoke from your neck, that imagery that's similar to what we see in chapter 9 of Isaiah, that imagery being freed from your earthly oppressors. Jeremiah chapter 32, 
It is you, Jeremiah prays, who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. You show steadfast love to thousands, but you repay the guilt of fathers to their children after them. O great and mighty God, whose name is the Lord of hosts. There, Jeremiah is probably echoing the language of Deuteronomy, where God, I mean, uh, of Exodus, where God reveals himself to Moses as God who, whose blessings extend to the thousandth generation of those who place their trust in him. Zephaniah speaks this word to the people of God. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. God in his might rejoices over his people. And so God purposed to raise up his own mighty one identified in Psalm 89 as the anointed one in the line of David. Of old, you spoke in a vision to your godly one and said, I have granted help to one who is mighty. I have exalted one chosen from the people. I have found David my servant, and with my holy oil, I have anointed him. And the psalmist goes on to characterize him later as by saying, he shall cry to me, you are my father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. And I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. My steadfast love I will keep for him forever, and my covenant will stand firm for him. I will establish his offspring forever, and his throne as the days of the heavens. So, so the ultimate manifestation then of the might of God is revealed in the one that Isaiah prophesies in our text, the, the mighty God, God the mighty one, who, who came to earth in the person of Jesus Christ. And so Paul can declare in Romans chapter 1 that Jesus was declared to the, be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. His resurrection, in other words, is the act of power that vindicates that proves who he is as Lord and Savior. God uses his, his might then for the purpose of salvation, in contrast to earthly might that is used for the purpose of oppression. Psalm 20 says, Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. So scripture is repeatedly calling you then to look to God as the source of true might, the ability to prevail. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 15. For thus said the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest you shall be saved, in quietness and trust shall be your strength. He goes on to say that the people of his day had rejected that but, that. but God is calling you to, in quietness and trust, put your confidence in God's strength, not in your own. So we, we live, then, in a world that is, that is characterized by might that is, is expressed against God. It's very similar to 
to what we see in Psalm 2. The nations raging, the peoples plotting in vain, people setting themselves and taking counsel against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. The, the essence of trust in human might is to, is to seek to live without any restraint from God to take the power into yourself. And here's the response of God to that. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. The, the message of Scripture consistently is that those who, who set themselves up against the might of God will suffer his just wrath. But when, but when the good news comes to his people, the message is that though their sin prevails against them, the prevailing God will make atonement for them. Listen to this from Psalm 65. When iniquities prevail, that's our word, might. So the image there is, is your, your sin is more mighty than you. That, that's the sense that you're, you're feeling. When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgression. So God steps into your life when you're overwhelmed with your sin and guilt and makes atonement for you. And so Psalm 103 can say, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great, so mighty, we could say there, is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. Do, 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 you, do you catch the imagery there? If you can imagine the height of the heavens above the earth, that's the extent, that's the might of God's steadfast covenant love to you. And so, you're called to boast in the Lord, not in yourself. Jeremiah chapter 9 again, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this. If you want to be proud, if you want to boast, boast in this. That he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Boast in who the Lord is, in other words. Are you struggling under a, a load of guilt, young person? Are you fearful of death and facing the holy God, you older people? Then make certain right now that your faith, your hope, and your love is centered on the mighty God as your Lord. Then you can be assured that nothing will prevent him from securing your ultimate and eternal salvation from sin. Hear this from Romans chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. 
For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. He has done, he has been mighty to do what you could not do under the law. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Christian, are you striving to live a life of holiness, to reflect in your life the righteousness that is, in the, that is the image of God? Remember, it's not by your might that you will persevere in that. The gospel calls you to stop depending on your own human efforts and intentions and keep turning your thoughts to the spirit of the mighty God who is within you and give your body to him to live in as he wills, to continue in Romans 8. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their mind on the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Are you fearful and anxious today? You've humbled yourself in repentance and faith in Christ, yet you still do not have the assurance and confidence that you are his? Do you doubt that in the end he will accept you and find yourself anxiously trying to be a better person by your own human efforts? And hear the good news that the mighty God has adopted you as his children, and that you share the inheritance of the kingdom of God with Jesus Christ, the mighty God who has bought your freedom with his own lifeblood. Here again from Romans 8. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, you don't owe your flesh anything. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Do you worry that God may bring into your life suffering that you will not be able to bear, that it may crush you and take away your hope? Then consider the glory that the mighty God has guaranteed for you by his suffering. And realize that all your earthly sorrow and pain and loneliness will be swallowed up forever when you enter into his blessed presence. Here again from Romans 8. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. 
For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who had the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Do you still have doubts because of your own weakness, the insufficiency of your prayers, and your present unhappy condition? Then be reminded that the mighty God, the Spirit who knows all things, the Son in whose image you have been spiritually born, and the Father whose will is sovereign, the triune God is your God. And so Paul goes on to say in Romans 8, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. Christian, young or old, male or female, poor or rich, happy or sad, sick or well, Christian, whoever you are, do you yet have anxiety or worry or fear of anything in this life? God came in the person of Jesus Christ, not as a mere baby, but as the almighty God himself who has chosen to love you. And so Paul concludes Romans chapter 8. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who has died more than that who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Fix your faith on this mighty God. Train your thoughts on this mighty one who has acted on your behalf. Center your hopes in him. 
and offer your very bodies to the one, the one who is God, who is mighty for your sake. Let's pray together. Only Father, how marvelous it is that we can know that you've done for us what we could not do for ourselves. You've shown yourself mighty on behalf of his people. Lord, bend our stubborn wills. It is so easy for us to trust in our own strength. And yet to do so, to do so is so foolish. Help us, Lord, to fix our eyes on you as our mighty God, to rejoice in your might and in your strength, to depend upon your might and strength from day to day, uh, to live lives that are pleasing to you and lives that will further your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.